Hello, hello, and uh, welcome once again to 60 Minutes With. My name's Steve Woolley, and uh, this is another one of our soundcheck episodes. And uh, today we're looking at the uh, the 1969 album, uh, Motown Chartbusters Volume 3. Uh, why Volume 3 and none other? None other uh, well, quite frankly, it's the first album I ever bought with my own uh, money, and uh, it's a cracking collection of songs, really. Um, as a sort of preamble to this, if uh, if anybody uh, has listened to uh, Tina's episode on uh, the Simon and Garfunkel uh, album Bridge Over Triple Waters, we, we should do it. It's really good, but uh, when she sort of uh, describes her childhood, uh, well, mine was pretty. Uh, pretty much identical um obviously i uh, i didn't start wearing a dress and talking in a welsh accent till i was well into my 20s but um it was the the council uh, estate up in bringing really you know um blissfully unaware that these uh, these places were considered sort of bad places to live uh really enjoyed uh where i grew up um working class parents baby boom generation really um neither of of my parents were particularly into music um my mum did uh develop a taste in sort of musical theater sort of later on in life but uh, i don't think my dad was into music at all he, he only ever owned one album and that was a collection of uh, of rugby songs really um and he didn't even like rugby uh i think he just liked the smut that were that they sang about really and he would um he would sometimes bring this record out at, at parties um what he f- didn't realize i don't suppose was his, that his son uh, had got a bit of an eidetic memory even at the age of five and six and uh, he was memorizing all the uh, the songs that were played and had developed them into a sort of playground routine so uh, on one memorable occasion, I was I had just done uh, diner diner show us your leg a yard above your knee and was going into uh, uh, four and twenty virgins came down from Inverness when a passing teacher caught me in the playground grabbed me by the ear and I was uh, sent off to the headmistress Mrs Holmes mother was summoned um, and uh, the album disappeared never to be seen again. Um, so that was my sort of early sort of uh, introduction to music. Um, I had three sisters, um, and we lived in a three-bedroom house, which meant, which meant as the the only son, I I claimed the uh, the small bedroom, which I used as a bit of a, a refuge, and uh, I got my sort of toys, um, comic books books um i collected uh models not uh airplanes the aurora monster ones and uh, i was pretty much content I, I had a record player but um didn't have many records um i was given them mainly as presents so i had the jerry anderson uh theme tunes to some of the shows doctor who uh, a pinky and perky album I'm not even going to really go into Pinky and Perky. Uh, two shit uh, cartoon uh, puppet pigs who sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Um, YouTube and they are crap. Um, and around about the age of about 11, I'd started to sort of buy the odd single. 
Um, my official biography states that the first uh, record I ever bought was uh, Pajama Rama by Roxy Music. It wasn't. It was uh, a, a record entitled uh, Leap Up and Down and Wave Your Knickers in the Air by a band called uh, Saint Cecilia, which was one of the uh, self-styled Pops, Bengali, Jonathan King's uh, bands. Uh, and um, I just... Uh, Adopted my my dad my dad's taste in smut and uh, who, who would have guessed that it was sung by another nonce, but never mind. Uh, the Pajama Rama uh, Roxy Music was the it was the second single, uh, and I got a, a couple more. I got interested in uh, T Rex, and as I, actually that's the first gig I ever saw. I was taken to. Um, a matinee performance at Birmingham, uh, the Birmingham Odeon in New Street. That's when bands used to play sort of two twice. And uh, uh, I don't remember that much about the concert, other than the fact we were allowed to stand on our chairs because uh, Mark Bolin was was quite tiny. Um, and, and that was about it. Um, I also went the same year to watch Little and Large in pantomime. And uh, if you are a, a, a sort of uh, a listener from outside the UK, I'm not even going to bother to sort of uh, try and explain pantomimes. It makes us all look weird as a race. So, um, music-wise, a um, few records, listened to the radio a bit, um, could have drifted along, you know, as one of those persons who likes music instead of loves it. Um, sort of... A, pivotal change came about really as a result of my mother um she got a bit worried about the fact that i i I spent an inordinate uh, amount of time in my bedroom and so would devise ways of sort of trying to get me out of it i was sent to uh, cubs uh, run by a pedo i was also sent to uh boys brigade run by a flaming pedo uh, went to athletics club, uh, flaming psycho. All of these I, I quite easily weaselled out after a few weeks. Um, but I remember one summer I, was, I think it was about eleven, and uh, I'd just broken up for the school holidays, and uh, I was looking forward to spending it six weeks. So I sat on my arse really, and uh, my mum said, uh, "Oh, on Thursday night you're going to youth club." Well, you know, my chin hit the floor at the the sound of it, you know. Um, it was sort of akin to sending your seven-year-old daughter out cage fighting for the evening. Uh, there's an old uh, saying, right, you know, never drink in a, in a pub with a flat roof, which is a, a sort of slur against council estates pubs, but the same could have been said about youth clubs. I mean, the people who went there, I mean, most of them have got beards, and some have got, some have got kids of their own who were at the youth club, you know. Um... They're kind of ubiquitous, really. They had, uh, you know, the normal uh, pool table. Can't play on that, mate. Big kids use that. Uh, the ping-pong table. Can't play on that, mate. That's for big kids. Football table or foosball, as their American uh, brothers call it. Can't use that, mate. Uh, big kids play on that. So, uh, you know, that piece of carpet you're standing on, mate big kids standing on that carpet you were generally out the door in about five minutes and i was expected to spend two hours there uh unfortunately for for my mother she'd uh, she'd given birth to a, 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 a sly bastard 
uh, as an example, uh, at the age of nine, I think it was, I, I noticed that there was a, a James Bond double bill on at um, a cinema in Wolverhampton. Uh, but it was one of those where you, I think they used to call it the A certificate, which means you had to have somebody over 18 to accompany you. And uh, nobody seems interested at all in uh, in accompanying me. So um, I, uh, I worked out um, the uh, times of the buzzes and uh, what time the, the uh, Saturday afternoon feature started. Uh, said I was going round to my friend Tony Sargent's house uh, to uh, for tea and to watch Doctor Who. Um, Tony Sargent just didn't exist. I made him up. And uh, he he kept going until I was in my 20s. Uh, unfortunately, he died then. Well, I needed the afternoon off to go somewhere. Uh, anyway, um, so went off um, to the cinema, hung around, uh, saw a nice Asian gentleman, gave him my money. Uh, he bought me a ticket, uh, watched Double Bill, came back and, and never spoke to it. So um, never spoke about it to my parents afterwards. So uh, I felt uh, that it was uh, it'd be quite easy to sort of get out of going to youth club. So um, on a Thursday evening, uh, sat out, set off uh, about six o'clock, uh, went, to my f- went past the youth club, Walked out across the main road and uh, went to one of my friend uh, friend's house. Uh, his name was Tony Horney. He did exist. I don't know what happened to him. Um, I hope he had lots of kids, main, mainly because they could all sing, "I'm Horney, 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 Horney." Ah, sorry, that's uh, that's what uh, happens with my sense of humour, really. Um, so. Uh, Spent some time looking at his stuff uh, and then uh, made my way off to the chip shop. Came back via the youth club where I uh, sat outside eating the aforementioned chips, uh, looking in through the window to see who was out and about uh, so I could get my alibi straight. Went home and uh, basically lied and said I had a good time. Uh, and that was it. So, uh, and that went on most of the summer, unfortunately, until I got busted. Um, on Saturday evenings, uh, my parents used to go to uh, what was laughingly called a, a working men's club, uh, where people drank beer, uh, played bingo, and listened to people uh, murder music. I hated it. I'd do anything to get out of going. I usually tried to stay at home, saying that I've got to watch a match of the day. Uh, and uh, But uh, considering this was, this was the summer holidays and there was no football on, I was told that I had to go. And um, the place was so... so sm- People smoked cigarettes at that time, you know, and uh, it used to, the cigarette smoke used to get into your eyes as soon as you walked through it. And uh, I was busy clearing my eyes while uh, mum was introducing me to a couple and she said well of course you know my son he comes to your youth club and uh, these pe- people just looked at me as if to say well who the hell is he but they had the good sense uh, not to give the game away but just give me a look as if to say you're coming on Thursday so I turned up and uh, luckily enough um, the, f- the first uh, person I bumped into was Tony Gooseberry. Uh, Gooseberry wasn't his, his, his real surname, it was Megastenovich, but uh, you know, 
everybody has to have a nickname. And um, the good thing about Tommy Gooseberry, his, uh, his brother Luba was a six foot two. And uh, basically, this gave us a free pass for the for the entire night. We could walk around without uh, sort of, you know, getting severely beaten up. Um, and uh, they announced that there would be um, a disco on Friday. And uh, we both agreed to sort of turn up. And... Um, it was it wasn't my first disco, but really I think I'd gone to one at school. Uh, didn't pay too much uh, sort of attention to what was going on. Just sort of enjoyed running around a bit. Um, but we turned up on the Friday night, and it it gave me an opportunity to sort of find out what people sort of listened to and and how they they worked. And I don't think things things changed for years, really. You know. Um, the uh, the DJ would play sort of uh, records to get the girls dancing, which involved a lot of Tamla Motown, and uh, then they would play sort of uh, a few sort of uh, scar songs or, or status quo in order to try and entice the boys into into having a dance, and then they would sort of you know play pop hits and then you got to the the last couple of records the erection section as it was called and uh, and then it was good night uh but it occurred to me just sort of uh watching the old sort of uh event unfold that, that really that the the records that the girls were dancing to was a lot better than than anything really and uh, i asked my uh, my older sister you know what this music was, and she said, "Well, it, it's it's Tamla Motown. Um, Tamla Motown was uh, the Motown label outside America. Um, it came because I think Berry Gordy's sister originally had a, a label called Anna, and uh, Gordy was always sort of one with with an eye to sort of make his." Uh, his music more palatable for a white audience and decided to form a, a label called Tammy um, but that because he'd seen a, a Debbie Reynolds film um, but that was already uh, taken so he corrupted it to Tamla. Uh, I also think he was probably aware of a, a label called uh, Sue um, which had uh, Ike and Tina Turner on it amongst others uh, I always, if I'm at a record fair, I always look out for stuff on the uh, Sue record labels. So really good. Anyway, I digress. Um, I, um, my sister said uh, that the records that I liked were, were, were called Tamla Motown, and uh, I went off to uh, a local record shop see if I could find some. And uh, I asked the guy behind the counter who snootily sort of looked at me and and pointed to a rack of records. Uh, do you remember record shops? Do you remember record shop stuff? You know, I uh, wonder what happened to them. They uh, they probably turn up in in supermarkets now, sort of pouring scorn over people's uh, purchases. Oh, I see you've got the baked beans on the Heinz label. <laughs> Branston, not good enough for you, is it? Anyway, um, I couldn't see what what, he, what they were going on about. Um, they, it made no sense to me. And um, I went back and spoke to my sister and she explained that Motown was a record label and, and not a huge supergroup that I'd, I'd imagined. 
so I vowed to sort of uh, uh, return to the record shop and sort of start looking for stuff on that label. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have to. Uh, I didn't have to wait that long. Um, every Saturday morning, um, I would be uh, packed off with. Uh, two of my sisters and my mother to go and visit my nan it was something i hated going to um my nan took to a bed in the 1960s and remained there until the late 80s and basically morphed into jabba the hut's uh, older fatter mother really um she was huge and very scary and uh she gave give birth to a sort of family of sort of catholic sized proportions and and most of them felt duty bound to turn up on on uh, saturday mornings to sort of ask about her welfare really and uh, so i would um i would sit there and try and look cute in case a passing uncle had, had slipped me a few uh, a few coins um and eventually um but I'd asked my mummy if it was okay if I could uh, pop to the shops, and uh, she she would agree, so they could start talking about which family member hadn't turned up that day. Um, the main purpose of, for me for going was uh, that I could go to Stans. Uh, Stans was well, I think the uh, the groovy term from these days is thrift thrift shops or second hand we we always called them bargain shops and it was kind of like ebay for the for the insane really uh you could you could get anything at stands and and he, he would sell you anything um and uh the great thing is you could you could buy it on the on the drip he you, you would have a little book and you could pay so much a week towards something you know um would you like uh do you like uh uh, Robin Hood, young man. I've got a real bow and arrow here. Or uh, oh, maybe um, William tells more your liking. For I've got a crossbow. Uh, or I have a fine selection of pellet guns and pistols. All of which I, I sort of bought at one stage from stands, including a bass guitar. I remember that once I uh, I got a job. Uh, in a butcher's working on a Saturday and I walked past his window and he had two samurai swords hanging in there. So uh went in and purchased them and took them home on the bus and nobody blinked an eye. God, uh, God knows what would have happened these days. There would have been a, a SWAT team of police and a gang of social workers waiting for me at the other end. Um, but Stan also had uh, boxes of comics, uh, which he'd sell at sort of cut price. That, and uh, I would usually sort of thumb my way through them. Occasionally, you'd pick up a, a sort of an EC Tales from the Crypt or some some uh, early Marvel stuff. And um, oh, on this one particular Saturday, I went over and had a look at his record collection. He used to have a few second-hand records, and uh, I saw this uh, this album. Uh, a Motown chart busters volume three and it had a a, a silver uh a coloured sleeve and uh we we haggled over the price and i and i hoped it wasn't scratched and i uh, i took it home and uh i'm scuttling off to to my bedroom and just this uh sense of anticipation where uh you know he took the record out the sleeve you you know you queued it up and then you drop the needle on it and uh, well this first track emerged 
from the from from off the uh, off the record player, and what a way to start! Actually, he's a he's a cover version. Um, the original was done by Smokey Robinson. Uh, it was even a, a hit for uh, Gladys Knight. Uh, I suggest you you seek out the uh, the Gladys Knight version. It's it's a sort of punchy R and B uh, standard. Uh, but uh, Norman Whitfield uh, wanted to try a different uh, arrangement, uh, and um, legend has it that. Uh, the uh, the backing tracks were originally intended for the Temptations, but he, he decided to go with Marvin's vocals um, and use the the, the, the legendary uh, Motown um, session musicians, the Funk Brothers, along an added orchestration. Um, it's 
opening with that sort of, uh, you know, the, the James Jameson's bass and, and that the, the rattlesnake tambourine. Uh, I mean, it's it's gone, it's sold over four million copies and, you know, will sell millions more in, in the future. It, it's been used in commercials and, and on, on uh, in uh, TV and, and film scores for years. Um, the track afterwards was uh, I'm Going to Make You Love Me by Diana Russ and the Supremes and the Temptations, which uh, saw um, Diana Russ trading vocals with, with Eddie Kendricks on a, a, a cover of, uh, of a Gamble, Gamble Williams and Ross songs, song. Um, and it was originally recorded for a TV special um, and found its way onto the B-side of a single, which... Happened a lot with Motown. You, it, they, they, they often, some of their hits started off as uh, uh, album tracks or B sides and then found their way onto becoming A sides because, uh, you know, uh, DJs and um, record pluggers sort of knew a good song. Uh, after that, we get The Sublime My Sharia More by uh, Stevie Wonder and, uh, well, his, his album particularly the ones from uh, the talking book to songs in the key of life are, are just sublime um, and yet again this song almost got lost as it was another b-side um, and uh, again was prevented from obscurity from by DJs playing it um, then we went on to uh, this old art of mine by the Isley Brothers and it the album just by this stage getting better and better. I love the Isley Brothers. Uh, their 1973 album, uh, 3 Plus 3, is just epic. And, you know, I, I it's one of the, the the best summer albums, really. And I, I always make sure it's it's on whatever device I, I take on holiday with me. It's... Um, they... Uh, the band covered... Uh, the song was actually uh, written by Holland Dozier and Holland, the, you know, the classic Motown songwriters, and had been rejected by the Four Tops. Um, and uh, Curtis Mayfield uh, almost uh, made, made a cover of it, but um, he, um, he, uh, he, he got into uh, problems with Berry Gordy over royalties. Uh, so uh, it Ended up with the Isleys, and uh, and they made just a fantastic job of it. Uh, the next one it was uh, I'll pick a rose for my rose. Uh, the to be honest, my least favourite uh, album on the um, song on the album. Um, it's it's a sort of it's a, I find the the lyrics a bit too syrupy, uh, but although many disagree, and and it was a top top ten hit. Um, but it was uh, a bit of a payback for for Marv, who was uh, one of the first artists on the Motown label. I think his uh, his one of his songs was that was actually the first release, and uh, and this particular song had been lying around for a couple of years, and uh, he uh, he got to record it. Uh, then we got. Um, uh, no matter what sign you are, by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Uh, Barry Gordy himself wrote this song, and I think it was a bit of a fuck off to the hippies, to be honest, because um, uh, you know it starts off with them going through the uh, you know the 
Gemini and Cancer, and and uh, at this this stage, it was it's sort of common parlance for people to uh, ask, uh, you know, other people what sign they were, and uh, uh, I just think uh, uh, Barry Gordy was just a little bit pissed off with her hippies, and uh, but uh, really, when uh, when Norman Whitfield took over at uh, a, a lot of the production on. Uh, uh, Motown, uh, he definitely went into sort of psych influence guitars. Uh, we then got um, I'm in a different world by the Four Tops, uh, Levi Stubbs stepping up for the vocals, and and it was the last song that Holland uh, Dozier and Holland wrote for Motown as they'd uh, they'd fallen out with uh, Barry Gordy over. Uh, royalties which a lot of people did and they went on to form their own uh, Invictus label we then got uh, oh God, we got um, Dancing in the Street by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas I mean that's how he finished one side of an album you know I saw a documentary not, not so long ago about the black mu- music scene in America during the 70s and it showed a street party where sort of turntables and amps were hooked up to a lamppost to supply the power and people were literally dancing in the street uh, and it's about as joyous and and defy you know um really sums up the vision that you had in your head about america um it just seemed to be this promised land um the rumor of it has it the streets that are mentioned in uh, the city sorry that are mentioned in the song is where the the civil rights struggle was at its hardest and it was definitely a call to arms in indeed the rec- the record at one stage was was pulled particularly in detroit when uh, the rioting had claimed uh, 43 lives uh, in 1967 so we get to the uh, the second second side, and uh, we start off with uh, another classic. It's it's Stevie Wonder, and uh, for once in my life, not a Stevie Wonder original, um, written by Miller and Murden, um, but it's just the definitive version. Uh, it was originally recorded as a sort of Tony Bennett style ballad. But Stevie wasn't happy with it and cranked up the tempo and put his trademark harmonica on it. Then we get uh, You're All I Need by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Um, Well, you know, what more can you say? Uh, I could do an an hour on just this couple. Uh, Although Marvin had worked with, you know, Diana Ross and Kim Weston and Mary Wells, um, the alchemist had just worked when he, he got paired with Tammy and uh, it, this record remo- uh, marked the start of their relationship with the writers Ashford and Simpson who would go on to write uh, the likes of Ain't Now Mountain High Enough and the Onion song uh, this song was also played at Kim's funeral uh, when she died in 1970 after uh, complications with a, with a tumour on the brain uh, Marvin was the only uh, Motown artist allowed to attend. Attend as a family believed they had not uh, su- the label had not supported her enough. Uh, we then got uh, the Temptations uh, get ready. Just you know a floor, fall to the floor stomper that was uh, penned by Smokey Robinson, uh, a double A side as it was uh, coupled with My Girl. Uh, and you can just sort of see that uh, 
uh, the beginnings of Norman Whitfield's psych direction. And then we get uh, Edwin Starr, uh, Stopper on Sight, SOS, instantly recognisable from the opening bars, which was supposed to re resemble Morse code um, on the piano. And it was self-penned by Edwin himself with uh, a little bit of help from uh, Richard Morris. Uh, and uh, it was taken from his wonderful uh, Agent 00 Soul album. Edwin was one of those uh, U.S. soul stars, along with uh, Sir Gino Washington and Major Lance, who made a healthy, healthy career at touring in the U.K. And indeed, when Edwin died in 2003, he was buried in Nottingham, and his gravestone reads, In loving memory of Charles Edwin Hatcher, our agent, double-O soul. Um, we then get another Supreme song, uh, Love Child, uh, a nod in the, the direction of social realism, perhaps. Uh, certainly, as uh, Diana tells the, the song of a, a perspective bow, that uh, if you like it, then you've got to put a ring on it, as she relates the stigma attached to single parenthood, uh, a theme that Norman Whitfield would explore with the Temptations later, with a mighty Papa was a rolling stone. Um... When some compilations would start to peter out near the end, um, you'd get a few dear misses chucked in, but uh, this, apps, this album just steps up a gear for the final three tracks. Um, the first I'll come to in, in a moment is it's my second pick, but then we get Junior Walker and the All-Stars with Roadrunner. I mean, come on, you know, this is just about a classic song, and uh, I mean, it's got that line, you know, it's got that lines like... Uh, you know, uh, when the 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 uh, the dust hits my shoes, I've got the urge to move. And uh, you know, I live the life I love, and I love the life I live. I mean, how many times have they been incorporated into sort of, you know, film dialogue? Um, and then we get uh, Smoking uh, Robinson and the Miracles, Tracks of My Tears, and uh, it's. Uh, I mean. I think sometimes uh, Smokey Robinson's uh, sort of uh, contribution to Motown is 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 under underplayed. I mean, he was he was a, a core creator along with Ber Barry Gordy, and uh, uh, Barry Gordy once said of Smokey, "He's so good, he reminds me of me." And uh, but uh, he, um, if you want to. An album ever to make you a hundred percent feel better and put a smile on your face and a bounce in your walk. Just get the Temptations album, the Temptations Sing Smokey. Um, it's uh, it's 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 wonderful. Okay, um, and that that's it. Um, my my final pick is um, the uh, the Isley Brothers again with Behind a Painted Smile. Um, one of the reasons is it um, it uses this trope that uh, uh, belonged to a few Motown songs, um, particularly um, uh, "Tracks of My Tears" and "Tears of a Cloud." It's a clown, sorry. It's uh, it's about you know not not showing the, the cracks in the in the male facade, you know. And the song itself, I mean, it starts with a with a flute and piano, and then just gives way to a sort of little bit of a uh, psych guitar before uh, the vocals crash in, and they just hit a falsetto and on the life uh, on the um, 
on the uh, live my life is a masquerade and in in just over uh, two two minutes 40 seconds the song's gone i just love it the Isleys are still working even though they're in the 70s and have re- recently released an album of covers with Santana it's a great compilation and, and worth checking out As soon as I got this album, I started um, looking for the rest in the series, and um, I've had them mostly in all their incantations, really, uh, on vinyl. I think I had most of them on cassette, uh, on CD, and I've even got the uh, the US series, which is totally different uh, to the uh, European release. Um, and uh, just reading the uh, the sleeve notes and uh, looking. I remember the 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 album uh, Inner Sleeve sometimes had advertisements for other records which I just kept note of and and would go looking for. Um, f- funnily enough, um, I remember I 
uh, got some tracing paper and uh, traced the, the Motown logo and then um, used it as a school workbook and I, I, I traced it back onto that and filled it in with silver pen and um, a lad uh, came and sat by me <coughs> excuse me at school and uh, he uh, he said that he really liked um, what I'd done to my uh, my, my workbook and uh, well I can't read can't really say his name because he's now sort of quite high up in the uh, the Church of Jehovah's Witnesses, and and really he he only ever did me a, a kindness. So we'll, we'll call him um, we'll call him Fred Sargent, and uh, and Fred, as it turns out, uh, uh, his mom, uh, her boyfriend uh, worked for ICA, RCA um, Records, um, who had a plant in the West Midlands, and consequently. Um, he just had the keys to the the sweet shop, and uh, our friendship over a, a three or four year period saw me sort of just going to as many gigs as we we wanted, and and just having sort of a lot of records on tap. Thanks for listening to um, this episode. Um, be sure to check us out um, on um, Facebook at sixty minutes with. Uh, at Twitter, uh, I'm at SolidAir01, uh, Tina's uh, at Spanky Spangler, and uh, Chris is at Dastardly Jabby. Uh, we're also on Instagram, and uh, keep an eye out, we've always got plenty of, uh, of competitions uh, on the Twitter feed. Um, and uh, Join us uh, again soon um, as I attempt to get uh, sacked from 60 Minutes With for picking a jazz album. Um, See you soon. Bye now.